Welcome back to the Bit Beacon broadcast. This is episode four. We're recording this on October eighteenth, not Tuesday, a Wednesday this week. Right. Uh, I'm here, Taylor, aka Kodax, and we've got. I'm Rick Ravenheart for short. And we're back with uh, some more news, some more discussion. Uh, let's just jump straight into our usual first segment. Uh, what are we playing? What are we buying? All right, you first. All right, me first. I'll go first this week. Um, what have I been playing? Uh, not a whole lot different. We did mention last week that Honkai Star Rail is now available on PlayStation 5, so I was able to successfully log into my existing account and continue playing the game there, and i got to say it looks incredible on the PS5. Um, surprisingly, it's a very... I was used to playing with touchscreen, so I was a little worried how that would translate with the controls, uh, but it's been pretty seamless getting used to playing the game uh, with the controller, and uh, it has lots of little tutorials, like what buttons you should press to do different actions. It doesn't like leave you guessing to, like, how do I open this menu, that menu, that kind of a thing. Um, I know, Rick, you said you were going to check it out. Did you have a chance to? So I've downloaded it. I am excited to play it. I just... I, it hasn't happened yet, uh, but yeah, I'm. All right, it's turn-based RPG, like no question. You got it. Yeah, it's very like character-driven. Like it's all about the characters, really, um, and just like their individual stories as well as the stories of each of the planets. I think you'll be super into it. It's uh, uh, it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. I, I can I'm tell. excited to talk about it with you eventually. <laughs> we will <laughs> next week, hopefully. Um, and I did pick up some games, um, or I should say some shipments that I placed a while back finally arrived. Um, I have the new Dragon Quest Infinity Strash, The Adventure of Die. Nice. Um, this is a game that we talked about, I think, in the first or second episode. We talked about how Square Enix wasn't publishing a physical copy in the West. Mm-hmm. Well, my import, Aza Asia, I cannot say Asia correctly. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, my Asia English copy arrived, and it looks very, very nice. Love having the physical copy in my hand. Unfortunately, the game has not been reviewing so well, uh, um, which isn't a deal breaker for me. It no. doesn't stop me from checking out a game I'm interested in. It's just other people's opinion. Right, but it does there seem to be a big consensus that it's not that great. But gotcha. not going to stop me from checking it out at some point. And I'm, more than anything, I'm happy to have it as part of my Dragon Quest collection, yep. which I have uh, pretty much complete at this time. Well, I mean, I should say I have every uh, English Dragon Quest game. Super Nintendo and everything? Uh, sorry, let me rephrase. Every hand, every game that can be played on a handheld console. Okay. I ha- so I have all the Game Boy Dragon Quest. I have all the DS Dragon Quest. I have all the 3DS Dragon Quest. I was gonna say that's a big statement. What's What's crazy though is every single game is playable. Every game in the series is playable in that format. Gotcha. I don't have like the Super Famicom exclusive releases and things like that. I would love to import the Super Famicom versions in box because the Akira Toriyama artwork uh, in like a landscape format on all their boxes there, it looks so nice. And I don't know, something gets... uh, I mean, while the early Dragon Quest games were known as Dragon Warrior here in the States um, because of some copyright stuff that Nintendo was worried about back then, 
Um, they have some nice box arts, but they're not the original box art. They were like watered down, or they were they were supposed to be for an American audience. They thought like, oh, Americans won't like right. this anime aesthetic. They want this uh, very uh, I don't action know, movie eighties, yeah, like over dramatic, like proportion. It reminds me of the old Mega Man box arts where right. it was like had this dude in a blue suit and he looked so serious. It's like the textbook example of what yeah. you're talking about. Um, another game I picked up along with my order of Infinity Strash, Dragon Quest, uh, is Romancing Saga Minstrel Song Remastered uh, for the Nintendo Switch. I bundled this with my order of the Dragon Quest game to get free shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I've been excited to check out a Romancing Saga game. I've never played any of these. I know the Saga series was Final Fantasy... Uh, what did they call it? Final Fantasy Adventure? Oh, yeah, it was Final Fantasy Adventure on Game Boy. On Game Boy, yeah. The Saga series got its start on Game Boy. Correct, yeah. But they didn't want to call it Saga when they localized it here in the U.S., so they just slapped the Final Fantasy brand on it, even though it has nothing to do with Final Fantasy. Right. Um, but they thought it would, for marketing purposes, they thought it would make it sell more, which it did, right. but it's left some people confused. Right. It's all mixed up. Yeah. But I believe this one was originally a PS1 game, and this got re-released last year, I want to say it was. Yeah, 2022. So real quick, last week uh, when I bought all those Super Famicom games, I picked up Romancing Saga and Romancing Saga 3. Okay. Um, So it's interesting that you picked this up. I picked it up, yeah, Yeah. the, the remaster version. And this isn't just like a straight port. Um, so it's a, I would consider it a different game than right. the original game. Definitely. Um, I believe it, it has like, uh, some, like maybe some content that was like originally cut, you know, from the original lease that they were able to restore. I think there's like a, there was a whole playable character from the original game that never made it into the final product. So they've restored that character's, uh, stuff to this game, like his whole story arc. Was this a Square Enix release, or was it... Yeah, yeah, this is published by Square Enix. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was, like, one of the limited... Again, now, this is one of the ones that you can't get physically here in the States. Gotcha. I had to import it. You know, it's got kind of a weird rating. Oh, it's got the Japanese rating. It's not, no, it's not Japanese, because it's, it's completely in English. They make these Asia-English releases for places like Taiwan and Hong Kong. Okay. Where, like, they predominantly speak English... Um, or English is like a well-known language there. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they come with English on the cart, and the packaging is all in English, so it's it's nice if you're looking to add the game to your collection but maybe don't want the Japanese version because you'd rather have the spines or whatever in English. Right. I like them because, yeah, I mean, it's what's really interesting is that it's a, where it says Square Enix on the back, the publisher... It has their support website as the .eu Square Enix website, oh, which wow. is really interesting to me same thing with the dragon quest game i wonder if they go with european assets for you know stuff within the game too i already talked about detective pikachu last week you did or that that i was getting it you mentioned that okay i don't know why i have this here with me um but one other thing that i'd like to talk about is this game right here super blood hockey now it doesn't look like much of anything the cover looks kind of I don't know, low budget, right. you know, looks like some shovelware kind of thing. I don't know, 
I don't know how the game is by any means whatsoever. Where did you get it? Okay, so we've talked about web or uh, small uh, indie publishers like Limited Run Games, uh, yep. Strictly Limited Games, other places like that. Well, a few years back, this uh, company called Limited Rare Games appeared, mm-hmm. and their whole social media thing is like making fun of the FOMO aspect of all these things so they've like ramped up the FOMO to like another level where like when they sell a game it's only available for like three hours on their website and it's like they never tell anybody when it's going to appear you just have to happen to be there at the right time or someone has to like post about it and it has to go like kind of viral or something wow so they put out their very first game was this game called Poop Slinger okay yeah we've talked about this company privately yeah. yeah Um, and that game goes for like thousands of dollars or something like that. The Vita version or something. Like no, the, it was only on PS4. Oh, okay. They've only done PS4 releases. Um, so when I happened to finally be at be on their website at the right time, even though I had no interest in it really, I couldn't help myself but put in an order. And I mean, they don't communicate at all. So you put that order in, you're giving them $30, and then you're just hoping that your order shows up one day. Gotcha. Um, like, I got no email about my order shipping. Uh, it just it just happened to show up last week, and I was thrilled that it actually was here. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I've, I finally got a limited rare game in my collection. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see if this will hold any kind of value going forward, or... If it's just kind of, if people are kind of over it and don't even really care anymore. Are you going to try to play it? Definitely not. This is a game that is just for, uh, it's more of a curiosity than anything. Not so much something, I'm sure you could probably get a digital version of this game for like $5 or something like that. Probably, yeah, looks that way. Um, But we're we're judging a book by its cover here. No offense to the super blood hockey devs. No. Uh, I'm curious about how you guys got involved with limited rare games. I don't think anybody's ever really talked. Nobody knows who they are. Oh yeah, um, like it's aren't they European? Did, no, or... no, this is an ESRB release. Okay. Um, so there, I I do have the label, the shipping label. I took a picture of it with their address on it. Oh yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Maybe one day I'll try to do a deep dive into where the heck this came from, or where they came from. Um, but aside from that, uh, I think I think that's all we really had to say. You haven't picked any new games up, right? No, I haven't. Um, I did get my Super Famicom all hooked up, and I have been playing Feta, the Emblem of Justice. Not the cheese. Not the cheese. The Super Famicom game that you bought at... Uh, Book Off. Book Off last week, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's beautiful it's yeah. be- i don't know what's going on yet okay. i'm i'm trying to figure out the battle system still okay it's a definitely a tactical rpg is it like grid based it is okay um and how quickly does it like put you into a battle uh there is a bunch of animation at the beginning oh, okay. i'm going to talk about it more once i get a better okay. grasp on um the game and what's going on yeah. and the story and stuff um it yeah it goes through a lot of dialogue and okay. and you you know, then you end up in a Fire Emblem style battle. Okay. It, uh, and I've done the first chapter. Still, don't fully understand the battle system. Okay. I'm I'm working. What on does it. what seems you what seems different about it than like Fire Emblem, which is maybe straightforward to you? Uh, it seems to have different mechanics. Uh, 
you engage the enemy the same way, but you know, where in Fire Emblem you have the weapon triangle and stuff uh-huh. like that, this is something totally different okay. with uh, strengths and weaknesses and okay. what works and what doesn't, okay. the strategy end of it. And so you I, think it's more like, uh, this character's weak to fire and this character's weak to ice, that kind of a thing? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Um, I. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still figuring it out. Were you able to use any of your live translating things uh, to help you out? It, it wasn't working as well as I had hoped. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, sometimes with the old pixel games, it doesn't really right. read it I don't well. know if that's the issue. I don't, I don't know what the issue is. Uh, it really... The English that my phone interprets is... Look like gibberish. Yeah, pretty much. Nine times out of ten, I couldn't understand what was being conveyed. Okay. And so I'm, I'm looking for you know game facts explanation okay. or something yeah. like that for, for the time being. But I am enjoying it, believe it or not. Regardless okay. of how's the music, th- uh, it's perfect. Yeah, it's your your fantasy Super Nintendo style right. music. Yeah, it's, I mean that's you know the 16-bit era has two two main music styles you know you got the super famicom super nintendo yep and you got the sega genesis yeah and i've seen people like war online about like who has the better sound font you know it comes down to the game in question a lot of the time there's sonic 3 on genesis and you know which is infamous infamous for i mean at this point seemingly being confirmed that michael jackson was involved it is a fact that michael right but apparently his his involvement is mostly related to him having his like secondhand guy do a bunch of music for the game, and Michael kind of put his stamp on it. Right. Yeah. There, there's a documentary I think that came out a year or two ago. I've seen videos that. of it. I haven't. I don't know if I've seen that, but I have seen like other stuff on YouTube. Yeah. His his like right hand guy who was working with Michael Jackson at the time basically came out and said, "Yeah, I, I did all that." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but still an interesting little piece of history. Good stuff. I, I'm looking forward to playing more of this game, and I will be, okay. and I'll, I'll be talking about it more. Cool. All right, so we're gonna jump into the news. Yeah, we're gonna be talking uh, PlayStation's new cloud streaming for PS5 games. Now, PlayStation has been in the cloud streaming of games for a while. Years ago, they had something called PlayStation Now, which back on the PS3 would allow you to stream PS3 games without having to download them. You could unlock trophies. What they were essentially doing was connecting you to PS3 hardware, often some server farm somewhere, and you would boot up the game that way. Right. Um, And this is essentially kind of the same thing, um, except it's an exclusive benefit just for PlayStation Plus premium subscribers right 160 a year 160 dollars a year to be a playstation plus premium subscriber now playstation plus has been around for a long time as well since the ps3 era um and they've been raising the price over time and it's getting a little ridiculous it's now 80 dollars a year yeah wow um and that what that enables you to do is have cloud backup saves Mm -hmm. you get two or three or four free games every month from the PlayStation Store of varying quality and of interest to you. Right. And uh, you get to play games online. So any any paid game that requires either an online connection 
or if there's like an optional multiplayer mode if you don't have PlayStation Plus you can't access that now they have made exceptions for free to play games mm -hmm. where you do not need PlayStation Plus to play those online um, but it's uh, it's kind of weird and gatekeepy but I guess yeah. all three of them are doing it now That's... Nintendo does it although a lot more inexpensively right? and Xbox pretty much does it too right um, but this is a this is a night at least you know they raise the prices for all these things at least they're giving one of the tiers a new perk right um, I I mean this is this has been you know a long time coming mm -hmm. I feel like and you know Google Stadia tried their hand obviously we right. have to bring up Google Stadia um, but this is not What's Google Stadia for the people at home okay so Google. What few a few years back was it 2016? Uh, no, maybe not that far back, um, but you know, definitely 2018, 2019. I think they right. announced this project. Right, it was a console, if you want to call it that. It was a gaming platform that only streamed cloud games right out of your browser, right, right out of Google Chrome, right. And, and uh, it, it. Long story short, it pretty much fell on its face. It collapsed. Yeah. No one. I mean, they had people in the ecosystem purchasing games there, but what's significant to take away from Google Stadia is that they charged full price for individual titles on yeah. their platform. Even though you don't own the game, you stream it from Google servers, and right. you know they did end up refunding a lot of people. Uh, but still, like if we're talking about the model yeah. that's the wrong way to do cloud gaming yeah it didn't work now this makes sense it's just an extra perk you're not purchasing these games like you don't have to purchase them to play them right um, these are going to be games that uh, they provide as like a free benefit as part of your $160 membership an existing service yeah um, now with Google Stadia I should mention um that I believe they did also have maybe some kind of uh, free game program. I don't know. If, they probably did. I don't know. I can't remember if you had to pay for it. Um, but yeah, they did eventually refund everyone, which was generous of them. If I if I remember correctly, you had to pay to be subscribed to Google Stadia, and then you had to buy each title you wanted. You might to be right. Yeah. Yeah, which is. That's yeah. I, I mean, it got to the point where they were giving out these like Google Stadia memberships for free. Like they had, they sold a controller, a Google Stadia controller, mm -hmm. um, which I hear is actually a pretty decent controller. Right. Um, but uh, that was the only physical hardware you could buy. Um, I think maybe it... wasn't there a little box or something? No, I don't think Stadia had a box. Okay. I thought there was like a little receiver device or something like uh, that. Oh, like you could maybe use a Chromecast okay. or something like that. That, yeah, that yeah. might be right. Um, but uh, yeah, not a big success. I mean, if the biggest player in the world right. can't, can't make cloud gaming work, mm -hmm. then you know I wouldn't be too confident about anybody else trying to go all in on that anytime soon. No. And um, I think PlayStation, Nintendo, and Xbox all have learned a lot of lessons from witnessing Google Stadia yeah. and the way that it went. I mean, they're, they're, you know what's interesting? On Nintendo Switch, they actually have some games that, because they're not possible to be played on Nintendo Switch, you can purchase cloud versions of these games. Really? And play them on Nintendo Switch, but you're streaming the game 
through the cloud. And we're talking about like Resident Evil games and like Kingdom Hearts games. Like classic titles? No, like newer ones. Okay. Um, and it's been interesting. I, d- I haven't heard too much. I can't imagine that many people are buying into games these ways. And I would be really hesitant to pay full price for a cloud game mm-hmm. that Square Enix might just be like, oh, well, there's only like 10 players a year on this, so, right, so we're turn, flipping it, turn off. it off. Yeah. And then you definitely won't be getting your money back. Oh, no way. No. Not, they don't, they're not going to do what Google did. No. So, yeah, I can't imagine I would ever want to do that. Okay, so I, if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, you know where we stand on the physical versus digital versus cloud. Yeah, and this is even worse. This, this is worse yeah, than digital. This is worse than digital. Yeah, I would oh, take yeah. digital over, like, oh, you can only stream games forever now? Right. Forget it. I'm done with gaming. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, they, I'll just play old games. Right. If you... I don't even consider having a digital file owning a game. This is really not owning it. Like, (laughs) this is, you don't have access to anything. Yeah, that means they could just turn a switch off and on and you lose access to it. I mean, you can almost do the same thing with digital, but at least if you had it downloaded before the stores went down, you could access it as long as your hard drive lasts. At least there's some digital property in in your possession. Um, But yeah, cloud streaming, that's not ever something... I don't see this overtaking like it's it might be exist alongside gaming as it exists today but I don't see it I mean the internet infrastructure in in the United States isn't ready for this right there's there is that too Um, that's you know one concern Uh, that'll change over time will it I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not convinced that it will because, like, the, the internet companies have these monopolies. No one else is allowed to lay down lines. The only other alternative is something like Starlink, right. which is not great for gaming. No. Um, um, I, I, there are internet companies with a lot of regulations that are restrictive to other people, you know, other companies coming in and Yeah, because lines. of agreements they've made with local governments right. and stuff. Like, oh, sure, we'll do all this for cheap or we'll... You know, we'll pay for it, but no one else can ever come in here right. and lay down any lines. Exactly. And so now we're just screwed. You know, everywhere only has one to two options. Right. And if we're going to convert to fiber optic, this and that, like that involves replacing all the lines in yeah. every area. And that's. Oh, man. A- do you remember Google Fiber? I do. Yeah, there was like, oh my god, they're going to change the internet, you know. Well, it but still exists, doesn't it? Only in very select cities, right. and they no longer are expanding it. Like, there's just too much red tape for them to right. cut through. It's not worth the effort. And they only did it in cities that were, like, more recently, like, developing into, like, metropolitan areas. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's that, no way. It, yeah. I, I see your point there. Um so there's that aspect, and then there's also the market, and how many, like, what percentage of gamers is actually gonna be open to cloud gaming as their primary method? Yeah, on Nintendo Switch, with those cloud games, I feel like it's like a desperation thing. Like, right. someone only owns a Nintendo Switch, and they're never gonna buy a PS5 or Xbox Series X. Right. But they really want to play Kingdom Hearts 3, so it's like, okay, I guess I'll do it on my Switch via streaming. Right. But, yikes. I mean, yeah. I, maybe if you docked your Switch 
and had an Ethernet cable plugged directly into your Switch, it might not be too bad. Yeah. But, oh my god, I mean, that's an action game. I cannot imagine playing an action I, game with that kind of latency. No, no. And with that kind of hardware. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah no way. I, I've seen videos of some of these streaming games in action, especially early on when they first launch, and there's, like, way too many people trying to connect. Oh, that's another thing I've seen. I've seen it to where, like, someone wants to play the game, and, like, a queue will pop up, and they have to wait till other players stop playing the game so they can play, because there's just too much traffic. Yeah. Yeah, Like, that's... could you imagine? Like, okay, I just paid $60 for this right. game. That's not the experience <laughs> of that game. Like, you know, you're getting a different experience. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's... I don't know. Um... So, yeah, also, uh, regarding this PS5 uh, cloud streaming, it's uh, not going to be compatible with PlayStation Portal, which right. is another aspect. That's the device that you're picking up right. in a couple months. Which I'm, I really, this doesn't impact me, because right. I wouldn't be playing cloud games. It would be like Streamception. A stream, you're streaming your PS5, which would then be streaming a game, and so that's just too much streaming going on all right. at once. Right, right makes sense that sony would restrict that yeah um all right so you may remember from our first episode we spoke about uh, uh one of the original founders of platinum games hideki kamiya who announced he would be leaving platinum games mm-hmm. that finally happened last week and he immediately put out a youtube video yeah um about what's what's going on for him next um, he's going to be, you know, making videos on YouTube for a year. Yeah. It seems he didn't explicitly say that he signed a, a non-compete disclosure with Platinum Games. But, uh, you know, it just happens to be exactly one year he's not allowed to make games. Right. Um, I enjoyed the video. Uh, I It was interesting. You know, he's obviously got that cheeky kind of personality, so he right. likes to... Well, I mean, let's let's uh, picture it for the listeners. Like, it literally shows him carrying like a carrying box of box all of, his, and it's all toys. Yeah, from his has. desk or whatever. And then um, he's walking out of the studio. Yeah, he's walking out of the studio. He meets up with the interviewers, starts answering a bunch of questions. Um, he pitches his, you know, uh, that he's looking for work and that kind of thing, yeah. but then proceeds to kind of riff on himself a little bit and state that he's not a people person he doesn't work well he's not interested in forming business relationships and all this kind of thing so he's not like trying to paint himself up right you know as i think you know yeah i right exactly (laughs) i mean the end of the episode shows him taking off in his lamborghini um yeah. What's the exact name of the car? Right, so Automotive Rick to the rescue here. Yeah, yeah he uh, ends the video by him pulling out of the uh, Platinum Games parking garage in a Lamborghini Countach, uh, a red one. And uh, he uh, states that he's going to go to the unemployment office, <laughs> which I don't think he needs unemployment insurance. Probably not. Um, Although I wonder how that works in Japan. I guess they do have unemployment. I'm sure they do. Um, I really don't think he was... No, I think he was being cheeky, for sure. For sure. And his $100,000, $200,000 sports car. Um, The most interesting, like, nugget of information for me, um, just because I 
think differently and this kind of provides a little bit of a insight into like the financial lifestyle of these industry legends of his kind of stature uh, he states in the video that he is looking for a job that pays over a hundred million yen which is six hundred sixty eight thousand dollars in USD <sighs> and I don't think that's a joke I think that is what he's used to making um, I can totally see that I and I imagine he probably was getting paid more than that at Platinum uh, because he's, you know, if you consider the context of his current position, right. he's unemployed asking for, right. for work. See, I almost wonder if this video was not just a fun little tongue-in-cheek thing for the fans, but also, like, realistically mm -hmm. letting potential suitors or... Yes, Empl future uh, employers know what kind of price tag he's asking for. Right, obviously, and he's not shy about putting no. that out I there. I do think it's a little brave of him. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. he, he hasn't personally like. He doesn't seem to care. No, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He and, really doesn't. And that's uh, what I love about him. Right, and he also doesn't care to the point where he's willing to just tell you in the same video that he doesn't work well with people and he yes, enjoys like, being alone. I'm going to be a liability. I'm not going to be, you know, super talkative during meetings. Right. Um, but hey, if you want to hire me or you want to give me a studio, uh, this is how much money I need to make every right. year. Um, that particular car, uh, I don't, again, don't know what the, his mileage is. I see that it's registered from the video. Uh, I would estimate that that probably would have costed him, if it is in fact his, which it probably is, uh, 200,000 to 450,000 tops in USD. Uh, that's what I've seen those cars go for. Wow. Um, and definitely fits his salary. I can, it's, not the most expensive race car you could own. But I mean, it's, I, I've heard obviously. stories of like people like Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, the creator of Donkey Kong, the creator of Zelda, the creator of Star Fox. Right. Not making that kind of money. Uh, I mean, which is mind blowing to me. Right. On one hand, um, I think there probably was a time in the industry when those kinds of legends weren't getting paid. As I mean, we're, I'm not even talking that far ago. I'm talking about like the Wii U era, like like a decade ago. Mm -hmm. You know, the, those kinds of. I mean, now with the Switch just printing money the way the Wii did, right? I mean, maybe maybe they're making big bucks again. I I do think they get bonuses, but I, I don't believe his salary is particularly extraordinary. So, do you think he was joking when he asked for that much? When Kamio was asking for that right. much, uh, that I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. thought that was like, whoa, you're asking for almost three quarters of a million dollars. Right. But if you think about the CEOs of these companies, I know it's different, totally right. different. Um, Bobby Kodak, who we're oh, going to talk about later, yeah. $32 million a year. Right. Yeah. Like I mean... That. they Kami is a director. Yeah. I mean, Platinum Games is a developer. Right. They don't... They're but, not even in the business of publishing games, no, that's really. that's true. Um, but they're definitely a high-budget AAA developer. But their games sell one to three million copies, whereas like an Activision Blizzard game is expected to sell like a hundred million copies. Right. But if you think about Kamiya, his like his legacy and the amount of highly successful titles he's released. I mean, Okami again. When we say successful, we mean you don't mean successful in terms of 
like long lasting forever sales we're ta- you're talking about like very highly well regarded and reviewed games you know you, beloved by players and critics alike i mean uh mostly but you don't think devil may cry made a lot of money i mean the series at this point has i believe kami was only involved with like one or two of them right the early ones um i i guess um uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Six hundred thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, uh, I can see that kind of money being passed around. In yeah, these. I don't know. I just have a hard time believing that Platinum Games has that money to pay him that much money for basically. I mean, the last decade he hasn't even really made a game directly, like not since the Wonderful One Hundred One. Right, but that's a status that he's achieved at this point. That's not how he started. Uh, no, I agree. I just wonder... This makes me think more about maybe maybe he left because they saw he wasn't really doing a whole lot of anything, mm-hmm. and they were paying him three quarters of a million dollars every year. Right. And they were like, uh, we either need to you know, renegotiate your salary, you got to get involved in the process more, right? or uh, we don't have a place for you here. Right. You know? I, I, yeah, that's I possible. I mean, people... It's been, it's been rumored that... You know, Platinum Games is not in the best financial position, and that they kind of really rely on these contract jobs that they get mm-hmm. because their own games don't necessarily sell super well. I see. I see what you're saying, um, but still, the publishers that they work with have a lot of money, right? And you know, when they sign these deals, like you guarantee, it's multiple millions. I mean, look know? at Nintendo; they've been partnering a lot platinum games especially Mm -hmm. since the switch came out like most of platinum games games have come out on switch or only come out on switch even right um and you know nintendo has stated that they're they they do look at acquiring studios you know Mm -hmm. um it's not but they don't just like go around doing it just to do it you know i i wonder why platinum games which seems like you know it's a prestigious studio huge catalog of like well-regarded well-reviewed games mm-hmm. um and critics love them exactly you know why i mean maybe platinum games doesn't want to sell out but i don't know I, i've just heard too much that like they're not super financially secure and it seems like they would be interested in someone maybe not bailing them out but like acquiring them and they mm-hmm. still get have like autonomy but they have like financial freedom right the fact that nintendo hasn't done it leads me to believe that someone from nintendo has probably analyzed platinum games and said mm-hmm. no they're too much of a liability yeah I'm, for that, one reason or another that's a lot of speculation it is a lot of speculation. I, I get what you're saying um getting back to kamia i lamborghinis aside he doesn't strike me as someone who really lives a super overly lavish lifestyle he does talk about like you know going to the grocery store right. and buying onions yeah. and other ingredients and cooking for himself I, I hope on his new youtube channel he does like a, a cribs episode that would be awesome <laughs> that would be cool i get to see what he lives like i imagine he won't one thing i wanted to say before we move on to the next topic did you see how he was wearing a clover studio i t-shirt? did notice that yeah. i thought that was pretty awesome i'm glad you brought that up yeah. i forgot to bring that up but yeah yeah and i mean that makes sense clover is his true legacy yeah. you know that's where he made you know that was like um maybe not in terms of dollar signs but right you know in terms of like that was where he went from that was where he became a name right yeah 
Right. And uh, a lot of legendary titles came out of yeah. that studio. Cult hits, for sure. And legendary people yeah. who went on to different studios. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on to our next topic here. Um, we're talking the Microsoft merger with Activision after more than a year and a half, or about a year and a half, the acquisition finally closed. Um, this was originally announced back in January of 2002 that Microsoft would be acquiring uh, Activision Blizzard for $69 billion. Mm-hmm. That's billion, not yeah. million. Oh, no. We're talking about the big boys yeah, now. big bucks for big boys. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of this episode. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, this had to go through a lot of regulatory checks all across the world, not just here in the U.S., in South America, in Europe, in the U.K., in the U.S., mm-hmm. in Canada, maybe even. Right. Um, and there were a lot of roadblocks thrown it, up their way. It's something that has to be compliant in multiple regions. Right. Well, I mean, you know, some someone, you know, Sony asked, Sony instigated this... Uh, uh, like putting putting counter campaign yeah a counter campaign against this acquisition right. because you know a lot of these Activision Blizzard uh, intellectual properties like Call of Duty especially bring in a lot of money on PlayStation platform right so now Sony is scared right that like oh my God they're gonna eventually make Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox and then we won't have access to that money anymore right um. Uh, we'll get to it, but that gets into Ubisoft Plus. And Let's stuff. just talk about some of the um, some of the, the the intellectual properties. They would be they're acquiring Call of Duty, Warcraft, mm-hmm. Diablo, Starcraft, Starcraft yeah. Crash Bandicoot, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Spyro the Dragon. Yep. I mean, the list goes on, and that's just like some real surface level stuff. I mean, Activision's back catalog, I mean, Guitar Hero, all of those games. Everything that King put out. Yeah, um, all of King's mobile games, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a lot. I I would say that some of these wouldn't really impact Sony like Warcraft and Diablo have never Well, been. no, Diablo has been on PlayStation oh, since Diablo 3. It has not. Um, yeah, right. And Diablo 4 just came out earlier this year. Uh, now, Microsoft has said that they have no plans to make Call of Duty exclusive. In fact, I believe they said that for at least a decade they they guarantee Sony that it will never that it will never drop exclusivity or that it will become an exclusive property of only Xbox and PC. Right. Um, and they've also, as part of that same statement, they also told they've signed an agreement with Nintendo that they will start bringing Call of Duty games to future Nintendo consoles, mm-hmm. which uh, would signal that the next Nintendo Switch must be pretty powerful if it can right. handle like a very gritty, realistic, graphics hog, intense game like Call of Duty. It lends itself to that theory. Yeah. Definitely. Um, So that's uh, interesting, and I'm sure people will be excited to have something like Call of Duty portably Mm -hmm. um, on the go. Um, But uh, yeah, one other little piece of news out of this was that Activision CEO, someone who is not particularly well-beloved by Mm -hmm. anyone at the studio... Nope. Or uh, the general public at large, Bobby Kotick, 
uh, is staying on board, but only until the end of the year, and then he's gone. Oh, yeah. Phil Spencer is firing Bobby Kotick. But Bobby Kotick is not going away empty-handed. No. He's walking away with, you know, some of that $69 billion. Oh, In fact, definitely. a lot of okay, it. Okay, so Bobby Kotick has long since been uh, the highest-paid CEO in the gaming industry. Oh, yeah. N- number one. Yeah. In fact, that. the runner-up... I can't remember exactly who it is, but uh, last I checked, which was a couple years ago, I think their salary was around twelve million or yeah. something like that. Like not even half of yeah, what Bobby, what Bobby makes. Yeah, that's and crazy. that's not even counting like Bobby's bonuses. So and... that speaks to the guy's negotiation abilities. So you guarantee that golden parachute is solid gold. Yeah. And how much stock does he have that has now just been converted into right. Microsoft bucks? Right. You know? Yeah, so he's uh yeah, he's doing well for himself. You know what I will I will give a little bit of props to Bobby Cote. Oh uh, no, I, I was gonna do that too. Okay. Uh he's he's been with the company since ninety one. Well he He found it well he Activision existed before right. you know, they existed in the eighties. He resurrected the brand right. basically. Exactly. Um, in 91 and uh, he was there for the original Guitar Hero yeah etc etc like I mean smash hit after smash hit under his guidance right Um, I mean I don't I mean he's he's not an artist he's a jerk too oh yeah big time jerk known for incendiary comments mass layoffs Mm -hmm. um, just and you know meanwhile he's laughing all the way to the bank every year oh yeah Um, on the like walking over the Graves of the people he fired. Yeah, you know. I mean, as studios at uh, Activision, across Activision Blizzard, tried to unionize and things, he was there trying to squash any of that. Yeah. Um, you know, people that were trying to start these unions were getting fired and let go. Um, we talk about a lot of suits on this podcast. He is one of, he is the highest paid suit. Yeah. And one of the biggest. Yeah. Um, it'll be uh, interesting. I can't imagine he's going to do anything in the industry after this. He's just he's just done, right? He's uh, got to be done. He's going to have so much money. He's going to have literally billions of dollars. We'll see. Um, <laughs> these kinds of people can, in like in my experience and my observation, can never have enough money. Yeah. I so you're right. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, there was that mu- uh, that movie. Uh, he cast him. He he was somehow able to cast himself in it. Some Brad Pitt movie called Moneyball. What? Bobby Kotick has like a a small role in the film Uh, yeah i don't know if he was a producer on the film or friends with someone who was a producer but he was able to buy his way into becoming a uh an actor right and he played like a you know a corporate like baseball executive or something like that i believe what the heck yeah so i didn't know that yeah if you want to go watch moneyball with brad pitt and bobby kotick you know okay let me know how it is i've never watched it yeah, he's um, he's kind of the go-to example yeah. of the CEO type in the industry. But, you know, literally took a brand from essentially extinction to the heights where they're now worth $69 billion. Right, which you guarantee is, is his, uh, like, casino chip that he uses yeah. in his negotiations. Isn't it wild, though, that Crash Bandicoot and Spyro the Dragon 
who were effectively mascots for PlayStation mm-hmm. are now owned by their chief rival, yeah. Yeah. Microsoft. The industry has a funny way of doing that. That's not the first time something like that has happened. No, and I mean, Crash and Spyro have been bounced around the industry. Right. Uh, Sonic's on Nintendo consoles now. Yeah. And, I know, mean, yeah. It, it's, yeah, yeah, that but, happens. Uh, if, wow, if, it, if the day ever comes where a Crash Bandicoot game comes out and and it's not on PlayStation, that would just be... Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of tragic, I think. Oh, yeah. Especially Spyro. But, um, you know, uh, I'm hopeful under... Some of these studios under Activision Blizzard that had made games like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, they just made a new one that came out a couple of years ago that was really well regarded. Mm-hmm. There was a, a really expansive Spyro trilogy, like, from the ground up, remake reimagining of the original games yeah the new crash bandicoot that just came out these games all sold well for you know uh, any publisher but activision effectively right activision sees these games selling five six million copies that's not enough for them so you know what activision does they start having all those studios work on call of duty yeah oh you're you're gonna make gun skins you're gonna make that you're gonna make you know all these little you're gonna work on the expansion for this game so i'm hopeful that now that these studios under microsoft's leadership that they'll be able to go back to creating games that they're passionate about and not just you know weapon skins for call of duty i mean is microsoft that different in that regard though uh, everything I've seen in recent years is that Microsoft has been pretty good about letting developers make the games that they want to make mm-hmm. and giving them the time to do that effectively. You, yeah, like, like they're bigger studios. When they're not on top as a console holder, it seems yeah. like they're more, you know, less corporate in right. their approach. But I still see this as a corporate environment, hugely corporate environment merging with another hugely corporate environment. Oh yeah. I mean, I think some of these regulatory uh places were right to question if this should be allowed. Right. You know, right. like we're talking about you know, it's not just Xbox merging with Activision Blizzard. It's Microsoft right absorbing Activision Blizzard. Right. Just adding another, you know, appendage to Microsoft's like group of appendages <laughs> Frankenstein body Activision is already a merger yeah. it's already a giant merger right. between Blizzard Activision yeah. and I King. remember when that happened I think we were in high school right that was a big deal yeah, that I was, was seen like, as like I was distraught right I was like oh my god Blizzard is gonna lose its autonomy and now right. Activision's gonna tell them what to do I was right. so worried right I was a big World of Warcraft player at the time so this is just I like inception basically in a way. Yeah. I don't I'm I'm I guess I'm more optimistic for these studios mm-hmm. that they won't just be stuck making Call of Duty crap anymore. You know what, with Bobby Kotek gone at the end of the year, I I'll be optimistic with you. Yeah. Um I think maybe a lot of that heavy handed you know, Call of Duty. Everyone work on Call yeah. of Duty came from him. Definitely. And uh we'll we'll see if that changes. I would be. I don't know why I've like imagined that at the the end of the year is going to come a week before the new year, and they're going to announce Bobby Kotick is staying on through spring of twenty twenty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, something like <laughs> they that. They just happened. keep pushing it yeah. back. Right. He's fired, but he's not really. Yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully he's gone soon. Right. Because yeah, I'm ready for Activision. 
to get back to their roots. You're right. Making a variety of games, not just one game every single year. If Microsoft allows this, yeah. uh, we it's kind of yet to be foreseen. The Xbox head honcho, Phil Spencer, has made comments recently suggesting that studios will be allowed to make the games they want to make. Okay. That's, so, I mean... That's a positive sign. You know, actions speak louder than words, but, right. you know, it does does give me hope that that is accurate. Right. Um, so, why don't we take a quick break real quick, yep. and we'll be right back with another discussion. Thank you. All right. All right, and we're back from our break. Uh, we want to continue with a discussion topic that we've been trying to talk about <laughs> over the past several episodes. This was on our notes for the very first episode, yes. and we have just been kicking it from episode to episode, so we're not letting this episode go by without talking about it. It's not exactly a piece of news, but it's uh, something that we've noticed and have been feeling for quite some time uh, as we watch the Nintendo Directs and the Sony State of Plays, uh, and just overall paying attention to the games coming out. Um, we We've been feeling, and you can, you know, comment on the website or whatever how you feel about this. Uh, just the game, the amount of games coming out, and the size, and the quality, it just gets overwhelming. Especially when you consider that game, like gamers, are getting older and right. taking on more responsibility with, you know, more limited hours to play. Well, that brings up a question: Do you think? The overall, do you think, do you think younger people are not as into games as people our age and a little older than us and a little less older than us are as big of gamers as we are? I think their attention spans are less. That's you <laughs> All know. Right, hopefully we're not insulting any Zoomers right now. <laughs> well, I mean, you're listening to a millennial-run podcast, so yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. So that's kind of a scary thing for the industry if that's true. If if people aren't gaming as much that are younger. Um, I do. I mean, I definitely think younger people game a lot, especially yeah. if you look at just the amount of like people that show up to Minecon and right. places like that. But that's the thing; they're they're playing big games, right? Minecon being a Minecraft convention, right? right. Um, but I, th you know, as far as the gamers who have been around uh, for, you know, since... People Genesis, our age. People our age. Um, you know, it it gets overwhelming. You watch one of these Nintendo Directs, and it seems like a, at least half the titles, you want to play them. Yeah. But you just know what the investment is going to be. Time-wise and... Money-wise. Money-wise, with games reaching like $70 now. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting. We now have more money than we had when we were kids, right? True. So we can buy all the games we want. Yeah, well... For the most part. For the most part, I guess. But we don't have the time that we had back then... Right. ...to play them. Right. So we're stuck buying a bunch of games and having... You know, 20 games sitting on our shelves still in the cellophane. Yeah. In my case, at least. Uh, you know how many games I got in cellophane, dude? Right. We're in the hundreds. Yeah. That's And, you know, when are you going to play them? Because more games are coming out. I know. And not just a few. Like, it's, it's almost like 30 if, more games. If I don't play a game when it comes out 
within like the first three or four months that it comes out, the odds of me ever getting around to it are really low. It's not impossible. Right. There are games that I will definitely make time for. Um, but yeah, because more games are coming, it's it's just this it's this problem. And right. you know, like I want to like support the industry. It's an industry I'm really passionate about. Right. Especially like smaller developers. Like there's a lot of really cool indie or you know mid size games, right. small size games that I want to support. And so I like buy the physical versions because I think they look cool. They seem like they would be fun to play, but I don't have time to play them. Right. Especially a lot of these niche Japanese games. Like some of these ones I'm importing. I don't have time for them. And that feels backwards in a way because those are the games you can finish rather quickly compared to the AAA titles. Right, but then, yeah, you have these heavily marketed, these massive in scope, these, you know, 80, 90, 100, 200 hour games right. um, that, you know... Open I, world, yeah. endless side quests. Yeah, so you're just constantly getting distracted. Yeah. You know, at our age, with our, the free, the amount of free time we have, if we sit down to play one of these games, that's the only game we're playing for the next three to four months. Right. Like that's and, all we'll have time for. And like I the the golden example I have of a game that's fairly new that you can't not play it is the new Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I know how big that game is going to be. I own the game, haven't played it, deliberately avoiding it, I feel right. like, because I just know what I'm getting into. Yeah. I and, mean, if you've played the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild it's yeah. that game times three times three effectively right. and that's just nuts that game does not need to be bigger you know it it needs to be smaller <laughs> if anything I mean I think the game's a masterpiece I absolutely loved it did I do everything hell no no way will I ever do everything hell no it's I'm just not, not gonna happen and I'm not denying that the game is a masterpiece from a development standpoint you want a bigger more epic game you know when you're designing a game that's where your brain goes i mean zelda is now nintendo's prestige franchise right we get one exclusive to a console zelda game like every generation now like i don't mm -hmm. count skyward or sorry not skyward Sword, breath of the wild as being a, an exclusive Switch game because it also launched on the Wii U. Right. But, like, it seems like we get one to two games. There's usually a cross-gen Zelda usually, game. Yeah, there's, like, one in between generations and then one during the generation. And then, exactly. And then maybe it gets ported years later or something. Right. But, yeah, there seems to be this cross-gen thing ever since Twilight Princess yeah, on the GameCube and Wii. that was the Wii. first. Um, uh, same with, with Skyward Sword on 2... No, that Skyward was, Sword. That was, that that was, was their. Ex yeah. That was the one that was exclusive. I mean, well, it was. It's now on Switch, right? Um, but that didn't. That didn't launch on Switch, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, you and I feel empty inside at not playing the newest Zelda game. I mean, dude, yeah, it's it's awesome, and yeah. like you know, like for me, a Zelda game is like a you know, like. It's got the lore. I want to know what's happening. Right. What's happening to all the characters I love? The, like I like I I gotta know. Like that's one of those games where it's like I don't care if I'm in the middle of another game, I'll drop it. Right. I mean, I really earlier this year I was timing. I can't remember what game I was playing beforehand, but I was making sure that I was done with it right before Zelda came out because I was like I, I know if I'm in the middle of something I'll never get back to it right. so I'm going to be playing Zelda for the next two months and uh, this isn't a complaint about quality we know the game is going to be good yeah. it's you know 
a Zelda game. Not that every Zelda game is perfect, but sure. But this is like the you know, there's there's the main Zelda games, and there's sort of like the side Zelda games. Right. Generally, the main games are massively critically acclaimed and beloved by all. Right. And then the side games, you know, people go either way on them. You know. Right. Right. Um. And you know, but that that's that's the essence of the the issue is just the amount of games and the scope. Yeah. I and mean, they're and then you know they're good. Yeah. Oh yeah, you just know. I mean, they spent seven years on making a direct sequel to Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. that reuses all the assets from the original game. Right. So that, that just means speaks they took their sweet time. That just speaks to how huge you know this right. game. Right. Like, I mean, people were shocked. People were like, "Are we really expected to pay for the same exact world that we?" already purchased with the first game like people were like this is just an expansion to that's a silly argument Breath I think. of the wild um, like because it's it's not it's not like so much of the world has changed in the few years that have gone by right and then there's just so much extra additional stuff a, a lot of studios reuse their assets a lot of studios reuse their models i mean this is like reusing the base map like one-to-one practically right the terrain and yeah. stuff yeah i get it um I don't think that is a good argument for it being the same game or the yeah. same world. But yeah, I, I was optim. I'm, I saw a lot of people talking about that online. Like they're like, "I'm not going to pay seventy dollars for the same game again." I was more optimistic. I was like, "There's no way Nintendo was charging ten dollars more right. for just a regurgitated Breath of the Wild." And thankfully, it wasn't that. Right. You know, everyone was proved wrong. In my opinion, I believe they were. Right. Um, but then, like, you look at the rest of the Nintendo Direct, and, or not, that wasn't in the Nintendo Direct, right. but if you look at all the, that's like 30 games yeah. that all look good. You want to play Super Mario Wonder. You want to play everything on that list. I would bet know? that Wonder is probably not an 80-hour game. No, but it's just another one on the pile. Yeah, it's another one on the pile in terms of the quantity aspect. Right. Yeah, and that game, all of its reviews just dropped today, and it's getting, like, massive praise. Like, this is the best 2D Mario game since the SNES kind of a thing. And I don't doubt it. Yeah. Um, And you also want to play the Princess Peach title. You know, it's just... There's so much. Yeah. Um, Regardless of whether they're... 400 hour open world you know endless side quest or if, yeah. or if it's an 80 hour game right. that's still a lot of time yeah. I mean I, I got all I, I'd hope Mario Wonder is not more than like 20 hours to get to the ending you know I'm right. sure like it's probably endlessly replayable and that kind of a thing especially if you want to find all of its secrets and I would think Princess Peach wouldn't be a super long game either right what's it called again what's the Princess Peach game uh Oh god! Oh man! Show it's Showtime. Show time. Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. That's a little embarrassing that we can't remember <laughs> that. Oh well. Um, but I mean, you know, open world. We got Spider Man. You know, that's a four hundred hour game. Uh, if you want to do everything, you know it is. No, I'm gonna say it's no more than a hundred. Well, it depends who you are. If you're a completionist, I guarantee you. I mean, you're... I platinum the game, which means I the original Spider Man. Yeah, and that was uh, that me- meant you effectively had to hundred percent the game. You yeah. had to find all side quests, all collectibles, all of that. 
And I think I clocked in somewhere around 60 hours, maybe. Okay. Um, so it's not too unreasonable, but it is still a big game. Right. 60 hours is not a small ask. Right. Um, but you have games like... RPGs Beth- Bethesda's new game, Starfield. Yeah. That's easily, easily a game. It's like Skyrim, but in space. So people can spend two, three hundred hours in that game, probably. Right. Before they grow tired and bored. With anything that has RPG mechanics farming is involved Mm -hmm. especially if you're a completionist you know and that's just yeah i've had to give up being a completionist yeah and that's that stinks that that's not well it's either i get every minuscule little thing just for some internal like satisfaction or i play more games right that's what i've had to make the choice between i i get i get why you would do that it's just the fact that you have to do that is just it stinks uh yeah i mean it's a i don't know yeah i just i can't do it anymore yeah so i just don't yeah and i don't let it bother me the way it did bother me there was a time where it did bother me where i used to be like when it came to playstation games i had to get like the platinum trophy for every game right. I played, and in the last three, four, five years, I've just decided it's okay if I don't. Right. If I just beat the game, that's enough for me. I don't have to do everything now. Occasionally, I still indulge in a platinum trophy if it's reasonable, but I don't do the platinum trophies where it's like, oh, you got to speed run the game. Oh, you got to do this. Right. You got to do that. You know. Yeah. Like, some of the trophies are. Kind like of absurd, yeah. like what they want you to do, and that yeah, I'm just not going to do that. And you know, I don't know if you personally consider achievements and trophies as being part of I, the game. I do, and I don't. Okay. Uh, I do think it's kind of separate in a way. Um, but I, you know, if you are trying to get everything in the game, you know, you are going to get the <laughs> platinum trophy. Probably, yeah. I mean, there are some times where like a platinum trophy will have you do some very specific like combat-esque thing that you wouldn't necessarily need to do it if 100% the game. True. Um, um, yeah, like co- some 50-time combo yeah, or something Yeah, get a 50-time like kill or, you know, right. like never be detected, you know, something like that. Right. You know, like the game doesn't require that. There's no bonus for doing it in-game. But right. It's just like a trick an, that you yeah, pull Yeah, it's off. kind of an external, you know, achievements are sort of an external thing. Although some games do incorporate their achievements into the games themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, with like an internal list right yeah and so, so if that happens yeah. then it's like well yeah, right then, shoot <laughs> then you have something in the game that yeah, you don't have exactly um yeah but it's just it's a problem uh, the their games are really good these they've AAA, never been better yeah they've never, never been, been better. better these AAA companies are just pumping them out like crazy like there's too many 2023 especially has just been wild for like extremely well reviewed games like it just lined up i think all the pandemic delays have now kind of culminated into 2023 sort of just being this crazy right year of games yeah and it, they just keep getting announced it doesn't slow down no. you don't you don't get a chance to catch yeah. up and play these games i mean next year we're going to have more than likely a new Nintendo console. I yeah. Mean, the I mean, excitement just doesn't... Expect doesn't a whole end. launch list and, yeah. you know, like... I, I don't... I do wonder, what the heck... Alright, let's get off topic yeah. for a second. What sure. does Nintendo launch 
the new console with. We're just getting a brand new 2D Mario this year mm-hmm. and a brand new main series Zelda title. So what what other gun? They, I guess they could have a 3D Mario. Right. They uh, could have a 3D Mario. When was the last Fire Emblem put out? Was it this Just this year? It was this year. Yeah, Fire um, Emblem Engage. Okay. Uh yeah, that's a good question. I mean, question. Fire Emblem is not like we're talking like Nintendo big guns here. You know, right. Fire Emblem is I wouldn't call it you know, it's not on par with Zelda or Mario, right. you know. I get it. But um, I guess yeah, it has to be 3D Mario next year then. Yeah, that's There hasn't been a 3D Mario since the Switch launched in later late 2017 Odyssey. when Odyssey came out. Um yeah, that was what I was going to say. Yeah. 3D Mario. Technically there was the they ported the Wii U Mario game, Super Mario 3D World. Mm-hmm. That um, doesn't count. Well, but included with Super Mario 3D World was a separate standalone, like, small Mario game uh, called Bowser's Fury that was completely 100% original content. It played differently than Mario mm-hmm. World did. Like, the physics and things were different. Gotcha. Um, so it was sort of like a like a, a third of a game. Yeah, you know, as like a bonus with the the remastered version of the Wii U game, so they did have that. Um, but aside from that, uh, yeah, we haven't seen a, a full fledged Mario game since Odyssey. Yeah, but in an, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're feeling pretty overwhelmed. Yeah, it's pretty intimidating. Uh, it's just it almost makes you want to check out sometimes, and yeah, it's it's kind of a a problem yeah we're curious to know if like other people feel this way too just the general marketplace i think so i think people buy way more games than they'll ever play Mm -hmm. and you know for me like i have a an analog pocket which is this device that lets you play like uh, original game boy cartridges and things so like over the last couple of years i've been acquiring all these old game boy games that i also want to play right and games that i own that maybe i never finished when i was a kid um and i've made time for some of that over the last couple of years yeah but it's like there's still so much i want to do in the past as well as the present and the future same um i do a lot of retro gaming and it would be all nigh impossible to be both a retro gamer and a modern gamer at the same time. I mean, I'm just a gamer. Yeah. I just play what I feel like playing at the time. And, like, for me, like, I love replaying the old Pokemon games. Like, the original ones right. on Game Boy and Game Boy Color. Like, once a year I could play through a Generation 1 game and, like, Pokemon Red, Blue, or Yellow. And then a Generation 2 game, Gold, Silver, or Crystal. Mm-hmm. And I could do that every year. Like, it would never get old to me. See, for me, there's so many retro games that I haven't played that I could be playing retro games till the end yeah. of time. You know, games on Genesis I've never played. Games on Super oh, Nintendo yeah. I've never played. And then you have people today creating games mm-hmm. for that old hardware, yeah. which Homebrew is really titles. cool. Yeah. Um, and these, you know, some of these homebrew games nowadays are of a bigger budget than like what the. I apologize if you're hearing the the Easter egg in the background right yeah. now. Uh, by Easter egg, I mean a children's like, child, la, 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 la. child running around screaming. Um, 
but I mean, some of these homebrew games are like in- incredible in their scope for the hardware, and like they're pushing the hardware in new ways right. that they didn't think to do back in the '80s or '90s. And the optimization tools and stuff are better now. Yeah, so it's it's really exciting. Yeah, to, if you are a retro gamer, you're into old games. Like, not only do you have the old games, but you have the new games for the old consoles. Right, exactly, and it. Like that just adds to the pile in yeah. a way. Like, oh yeah, you're not gonna play those over I've been the picking AAA up, games. Yeah, I've been picking up like homebrew Game Boy games over the last couple of years. But have you been playing them? Some of them I have. Some of them are brief experiences. Like I can buy them on itch for like two or three dollars, mm-hmm. and they're like you know one two hour games. Right. You know, so it's like those are nice. You know. Yeah. Because a lot of old games, when you think about it, were not super long experiences. You see people, like, run through them today, and you go to YouTube, and you see a long play of the whole game in, like, 45 minutes, you know? So it's not impossible um, to to kind of play those games, but I've definitely picked up more than I've played. Right. Um, But at least there I'm only spending a few bucks at most and I know I'm really supporting like a solo indie dev right. or like that purchase probably puts a huge smile on their face every day right and uh, I honestly I am more drawn to the idea of indie games over playing AAA games uh, just because I know it's something I can finish with a relatively small investment yeah. although these indie games are largely getting larger in a lot of ways right and their teams are bigger, and the names attached to these indie games indie, are not so yeah. indie. Indie games are starting to split into multiple categories. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think we'll we'll have to get into that discussion another day. Yeah, but uh, I think we should move back to the news for a little bit. That sound good? Yep. Um, we've got uh, some updates on some physical versus digital developments in the world of games or otherwise. Yeah. And a big piece of news that doesn't directly relate to games, but it kind of does, or yeah. it's at least it's telling. It sets the stage. Best Buy has announced as of quarter 1, 2024, which means by the end of March of 2024, mm-hmm. they will no longer sell DVD and Blu-ray movies and TV shows in-store, and even online they won't sell them anymore. Yeah. That's a bold move, I feel like. I think it's... I get taking it out of in-store, because there's probably not a huge amount of people shopping in-store for movies on DVD and Blu-ray, but to even see selling them online? Yeah. That... Blows my mind. And now, what's funny is that Best Buy has a lot of exclusive, like, versions of, uh, like, Blu-ray and 4K Blu-ray movies where they have, like, a special steelbook that comes bundled with it that's only found at Best Buy. Right. And these these things sell out. So I'm kind of shocked to see that Best Buy is just like, we're just going to lose that whole aspect of our business. I guess it takes up a big portion of the store floor. Uh, well, from what I've seen, the last few times I've been in Best Buy, the selection of like DVDs and Blu-rays, movies, TV shows in store is pitiful. Mm-hmm. Like it's relegated to a few small aisles that yeah. are like you know ten feet long. You know, not right. like you know fifty foot aisles like you see at other stores. It's been a while since I've been in the Best Buy, um, and ju- just from what I've heard online. But I mean, th- like I said, online they have a lot of exclusive releases that they do mm-hmm. and um i don't know man so that's kind of wild this is a 
This is the first piece, the first uh, chess piece to fall. Yeah, this is the first step toward just digital taking over. Yeah, I mean, movies have largely... There's not a huge amount of people, I think, still buying right. a lot of physical movies. I think movies are less collectible than games. Um, I don't know how many collector's editions of movies you really get. Um, yeah. there, that might be a thing. I mean, I'm sure there's people like us that we like to get our game signed. There's people that probably like to get, like, movies signed and things like that. Like, hardcore movie buffs, maybe. Like, for example, this weekend I'm going to an event at Gallery Nucleus Mm -hmm. for the sequel to Chicken Run. Which you may remember as this uh, stop-motion claymation film from the late 90s, early 2000s. Maybe early 2000s. I can't quite remember. It's kind of... Kind of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're the creator, the same people that worked on that film created like Wallace and Gromit, mm-hmm. which is like a groundbreaking stop motion. Yeah, film. they're claymation specialists, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and so I picked up a couple, there's a few guests that are going to be there. So I did quickly order some stuff on Amazon for like $10 each, some movies that the guests worked on. So mm-hmm. I will bring those to get signed. Um, but yeah, like that's not a big part of my collecting habits right um but yeah i think my my shelf of like movies is only like maybe 20 20 or so titles right i have a lot of movies they pretty much exist in boxes yeah you know they're in a storage unit it's um, it's it's not a completable collection you no know? you know it's <laughs> every not every dvd yeah, ever it doesn't make sense and what even defines like, you would have to have all kinds of parameters if you were a movie collector. Yeah, it would have to be, like, only by, like, this set of, like, distributors right. or movie houses. Or right, that or kind of this thing. actor or this director. Yeah. I guess you could potentially do, like, I want every Nicolas Cage movie. Right. Like, that would be an achievable... Right, you would have to set those kind of parameters. But yeah. it, there's no, like, complete library, like, with games. Like, that yeah. doesn't exist. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have a Nicolas Cage shelf. I'm gonna have a Keanu Reeves shelf. You go for it. I'm less passionate about films. I don't hate film, but I prefer games. Yeah, I know. If when I, if I have free time, yeah, I'm I'm playing games. You're wasting your time <laughs> watching a movie. I mean, I do like to watch movies, but yeah, like nine out of ten. Well, no, I would say forty nine out of fifty times, I'm gonna play a game. Over watching oh, a yeah. movie or a TV show, hundred percent. Yeah, it's like it's a rare case that I'm gonna like stop gaming to watch something. It's weird how society is so open to movies and less so to games. You know, you think that's still a thing? Uh, yeah, uh, there are way more people. I'm talking about just normal people, right? You're, that look down on gaming, right? Or see and it me, as okay. Not maybe look down on it, but see it as a uh, juvenile, nerdy. You know, yeah. uh, still kind of a subsection of society. Um, your I mean, average it's way more widely oh, accepted yeah, than it, than it was used more. to be, but yeah, it's still not as widely accepted I, as movies. I mean, I think it's almost impossible to find anybody sixty or under who has not played video games at some point in their lives, at if, least in the United States. Uh, if you include mobile games, I'll give you that. But yeah. if you don't, then no, that's not true. Well, I do include mobile games. Okay. Then, yeah, everybody has. Because that's not really... Someone plays Tetris on their phone? They've never played a game before? That... I'm not talking about Tetris. I'm talking about Candy Crush. 
Okay, yeah, also Candy Crush is far-reaching. But I mean, I don't know. Dude. I think more people have probably played Tetris than Candy Crush. I'm, you're missing my point. There's a lot of normal... It's not... People are not sitting down to play a game. Right. As, you know... Uh, I, I get it, The yeah, way like, they do a movie. Like, sure. It's not... Sure, like, when people play Candy Crush... There's no one out there who doesn't watch movies. Yeah. There's no one. Like, yeah. you can't find me a person who okay. doesn't watch movies. Sure. You will find plenty of people yeah. who don't play games. I, I think that has mostly to do with the fact that it's interactive... And you have to learn how to right, do something. Right, and you something. have to use your brain. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, like, a, a movie is purely a passive experience. I mean, there's analysis that's going on in your brain, depending on the film. Yeah, right. You know, some I, films are deeper. I'm not saying movies are mindless, but there's a skill level involved. There's interaction involved. Right. You're in control. Yeah. You know, and if you, you die, to... it's on you. Yeah. You know, Yeah. I, okay, I agree. I agree. I, I mean, I will say, like, people don't bat an eye as much as they used to. I mean, are there some people that still look at it? Right. I'm not saying that it's... Okay, when I say that most people, or, you know, that more people watch movies than play games, I'm not saying that those people necessarily shun games. Right. I'm just saying they don't play them. Right. Well, for me, it's like there was a time where I wouldn't be necessarily like keen to tell someone that I play video games and now I don't feel like I have to worry about that yeah no that's true but that's that's different yeah that's a different like discussion okay well back to Best Buy for a second um they have said video games are unaffected at this time which uh, is just delaying the inevitable, it feels like. Well, I think they still sell a lot of games. I do wonder how much they sell in-store, but I'm guessing online they still do very good business there for video games. I feel like most people don't walk into a store to buy their video their physical video games anymore. Most people, I think, purchase them at various retailers online. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, because I haven't... I mean, well... Once in a blue moon, Best Buy will have like a deal that's only available for in-store pickup or something like that, and I will go to a Best Buy. Excuse me, I burped. I, I personally have live in kind of a Best Buy dead zone. Mm-hmm. I'm like 20, 25 minutes in any direction from a Best Buy. Yeah. I like you know north, south, east, west. There's a Best Buy 25 minutes away from me, um, so I don't go too often. I I live fairly closer to Best Buy locations. They just don't have what I need. Yeah, like I can find what I'm looking for at Walmart. Yeah, usually. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, even Walmart. I've been in there lately. They have a better selection for yeah. sure oh, in yeah. store, um, but uh, it's not as good as it used to be. Um, you, I do know. I was at Target last week, and the video game section is really shrinking. The only one that's particularly large is Nintendo section. Mm-hmm. They have a full aisle from start to end, just Nintendo. Right. Um, but I do notice they have a lot of digital download cards. Yeah. Where you you know you pick up the card and you scan it at checkout and it prints a code on your receipt. Um, but uh, like the Xbox and the place the Xbox section is like nothing. It's like an end cap practically. Right. Right. Um, the PlayStation section is like two or three sections long. Um, like, and we're talking, when I say section, I mean like, I don't know, four feet or so. So like half an aisle. Yeah, maybe about half an aisle or so. Um, 
But yeah, Nintendo still seems to have the biggest physical presence right. in retailers. Um, I think Nintendo probably has the biggest reach right now, at least. Yeah. I mean, most Nintendo fans, especially adult ones, have probably been Nintendo fans for their whole lives, right. I would guess. Right. Um, you know, you tend to have... There doesn't seem to be a lot of people that find themselves drawn to Nintendo later in life if they weren't initially drawn to Nintendo early in life, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. I feel like, you know, you sort of have these people who found gaming in their 20s or 30s, and, like, they, they think Nintendo... They still have this prejudice against Nintendo where it's, like, Kitty or something, like, Mario, right. that's for babies. I can understand that. I think Nintendo's really opened up more to oh, yeah. M-rated games and they've, stuff like They've that. come a long way from when they used to, like, shun that stuff. They don't even allow it on their platform. Right. Um, and now... They've realized, hey, you know, like, why are we being prudes? You know, there's right. money to be made here. Right. You know, we have they probably people. also know that, like, people are growing up. Yeah, they want to play those games, right. you know. I heard an anecdote on another podcast, uh, Nintendo, oh, God, what is it called? The, Nintendo used to have this weekly thing they would publish on YouTube called Nintendo Minute, and it had these two uh, marketing people from Nintendo on it. Uh, Kit Ellis and Krista Yang, I think their names were, they quit Nintendo a year or two ago and started a podcast. Um, and they talked about sitting down in like a meeting and Nintendo like now kind of breaks it down into like three categories. Well, I specifically remember they have like family-friendly games, they have like, uh, you know, mature games, and they have pervy games. Like okay. they're like there's like these three elements not pervy as in like you need to kind of balance these three things in order to like so they kind of see like fire emblem as sort of like uh not pervy per se but you know there's usually like this relationship some of the character designs are more provocative mm-hmm. um and things like that and so i don't know where i was going with this <laughs> <laughs> okay but um yeah i think nintendo knows that they have to appeal to more than just uh, the family gamer, the the clean, right, okay. Christian gamer, you know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think that Mario is geared toward Christians. I mean, but... I just think that Mario, like Mario, isn't going to offend a Christian, right? Like, there's nothing offensive about okay. Mario, you know. So I, I think like, yeah, they they want to stay like clean. They want, yeah, happened. very clean. Yeah, and um, but but that's gone. Yeah, I don't know if it's. Gone. I mean, Mario still... is still clean. They still are the one console holder that has a family-friendly image. That yeah, yeah. They're like they're, they're they still have that. That's still, even though they've ventured into other territory. Right. Yeah. That's kind of like a. That's yeah. They they haven't become like PlayStation is mature. Yes. Like no one's gonna think PlayStation is a children's toy. I mean, my but, my Nintendo <laughs> Switch is bright freaking red and looks yeah. like a toy. I mean, I specifically bought the Nintendo Switch that didn't have the, like, super right. color poppiness to it. But I'm saying that you'll never see this from PlayStation. They're not going to release them no, that looks like they're this. not going to... Re- well, yeah, yeah, they're not. No. They're really not. I mean, they have Astrobot, which is family-friendly. Oh, family yeah, yeah. Friendly. yeah, they do have... I mean, they, they have some Spyro, and, yeah. you know... Well, they... Yeah, that's no longer with <laughs> yeah, them, that's Microsoft but... now. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I know, isn't it crazy? You can't claim that as a PlayStation property anymore. Uh, I mean, yeah, it'll always be on PlayStation. Like, it started on PlayStation. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, Sony is not without their child-friendly, family-friendly... There's less and less of it, though. Yeah, there is. There's so much less of it now. They're shifting, too. Yeah, they're 100%, like, catering to late 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings. Like, that's their core audience. Right. Which, I don't know, that... Is that a mistake? Like, a long-term <sighs> mistake? Um... Like, okay, because 10, 20, 30 years go yeah. by, and now you've been ignoring yeah. the younger We're crowd. all in hospice, and then the young, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, they're not fostering. But see, those kids are going to grow up to the point where they're going to be looking for M-rated games, and then they might jump on the bandwagon. I guess. I mean, I don't specifically go out of my way to look for M-rated no, games. No, I don't mean... Yeah. I only play M-rated <laughs> games. Dude, no. there are people out there like that. Really? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> All right. Teen plus or M rated only. I'm a purist. <laughs> if there's not boobs, my favorite game is guns. Manhunt Two, Postal Three. <laughs> um, I'm all about Paperboy. Yeah, right. Um, um, yeah, that's a good game. <laughs> dude, a good game. I don't know. That game is like tough as nails, oh, dude. dude. Getting it in that mailbox. Good luck. It's tough, but. <laughs> Paper it's like Boy. game over after 30 seconds. Paperboy on Game Boy, man. Oh, really? The yeah. Game Boy? Were, I need to look into that. Yeah, dude. I need to investigate Paperboy for I've, Game Boy. I've put, I don't know how many hours into that game. The only Paperboy I ever played was like in second grade in my school computer lab on some Mac on giant ass floppy drives. Oh, yeah. Or floppy disks. It was a very early Game Boy title. It might have been a launch title. Okay. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Thank you. I did not know Paperboy was available on Game Boy. Oh, yeah. So there's one other piece of uh, news regarding some physical and digital stuff. And this one is more optimistic. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes from an interview largely having to do with the Activision uh, Blizzard-Microsoft merger. So it's not so much an interview as much as, as it is an internal Q&A with uh, one of their strategic suits, yeah. uh, Chris Early who happens to be the man in charge of the negotiation with Microsoft right. during this Activision Blizzard merger. And, um, so you might be wondering, why the heck is... What does Ubisoft have to do with this merger? Right. So Ubisoft offers their own cloud gaming. So now we're... I don't know how many people are providing. So, so Microsoft is providing cloud gaming, and we already talked about PlayStation providing it. So we're moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's becoming a thing. You know, hopefully it remains uh, just an offering and not so much the only... That seems to be what uh, Chris Early suggests in this Q&A, because one of the questions is basically, what do you think of the future of physical media in mm -hmm. games and he replies uh that he doesn't see it going away yeah He's, i have his exact quote here yeah, let me read for it for it. you um okay let's see here uh what so the question the internal question being asked to chris early is what do you think of the future of physical media in games chris says there's a collector edition market that's the aspect of gift there's the aspect of gifting physical items and allowing access for people to be able to easily purchase a game in a store and gift them to their friends or family some people will always want to own the physical disc i just don't think it's going away do i think physical sales might get lower over time 
sure, but will it ever completely go away? I don't, don't think, think so. so. Yeah. So a, a real quick devil's advocate point here. I don't know if his what he's saying about collector's editions market is necessarily true because one problem I've had is seeing these collector's editions include a download code and I believe we've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, but he, the rest of his point, it's it's reassuring to to hear him say internally with Ubisoft on their website that basically we these big companies they understand that the human aspect of wanting physical right you know property. So- Ubisoft is one of the premier third-party publishers on the market, meaning they put games on all three major consoles. Um, You know, now with Activision Blizzard merged with Microsoft, when it comes to the really big guns, we just have EA and Ubisoft. Maybe Take-Two, I guess, would also be another big one. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, yeah, so there's less and less big third-party publishers but that's that's what Ubisoft does. They make games and they put them on all the platforms. Yeah, they're, generally they're very multi-platform. They're also one of the more corporate type of environments in the industry. I feel. I mean, like. I think all the big AAA studios are. What's interesting sure. about Ubisoft is they have a very big, um, like, worldwide presence. They have studios on like every single continent. I right. think. Like they have studios in China, they have studios in India, they have studios in Europe, they have studios in Canada, they have studios in the USA, mm-hmm. they have studio in Singapore. They're they're definitely one of the biggest players, uh, yeah. uh, next to EA and and the others. Yeah. Um, I mean, you take away EA Sports from EA, right? And they don't have a they, lot. They don't. They Ubisoft have, at least you yeah. know puts out a wide variety of things. I think EA's been around longer. Oh. Yeah. Uh, They've been around since Yeah, Yeah, Genesis. probably not much longer, but yeah. they've been out longer. Yeah. Um, so the bigger picture of this internal Q&A is talking about Ubisoft Plus, which uh, gets related pretty heavily to the merger um, between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. Uh, Ubisoft, Chris Early, has negotiated on behalf of Ubisoft with Microsoft that Ubisoft Plus will carry the exclusive cloud streaming rights for all of Activision Blizzard's properties. Now, this is in response to certain regulatory bodies in Europe. Well, this is the general scheme, minus certain regional exceptions where the government will not allow this. Right. Uh, In Europe, uh, the Q&A talks about uh, an initiative or a law called Bring Your Own Game, which basically guarantees gamers in those regions... Uh, cloud streaming rights for free if they own a copy of the game uh, digitally or physically. It's interesting. Some of these European territories, uh, countries, have very protective laws for the consumers. The consumer, right. But it has had sort of a, a counter effect towards the consumers in some cases where some games don't even release in those countries anymore right. because the, the laws are so protective, they would have to modify the game so heavily to essentially function in those regions that like the companies just see it as not being worth their time to even release it there. Yeah, that uh, it's definitely a trade-off. Um, Europe's probably not the worst with that. I'd say probably mainland China is. But, well, yeah, it's a whole other. Yeah. 
Um, but it's just select countries, though, in Europe. It's not like the whole European Union has adopted that. That's true. It's I think it's mostly Eastern Europe. That being Europe. said, I do appreciate that Europeans, the European government, or most, or more European uh, governments of countries seem to be more aware of the kinds of things, especially in regards to like loot boxes and right. these really predatory. Yeah, they things. they are very uh, in kind of like in touch with yeah. what companies are then the direction that they're right whereas to if you asked any u.s senator what a loot box is right they yeah. would not be able to tell you <laughs> they're gonna tell you it's a, a box with loot in it yeah um so uh but this is the exception to the rule right right so uh, outside of these regulatory regions Ubisoft Plus is going to have exclusive rights right. to streaming. That includes Call of Duty. Right. Despite what Microsoft said about Sony still having access to Call of Duty. Right. Sony will still have access, but not for cloud streaming. Right. Well, it would have to be distributed via Ubisoft. Oh, that's true, yeah. yeah. Is Ubisoft Plus available on, like, Sony? Plus? If it is. If it is. Yeah. Right. Um, but again, I will... My understanding of this is that this Microsoft only gave this concession essentially because their this merger was going to be blocked otherwise in certain territories, which meant that Microsoft would have had the whole deal would have fallen apart if they hadn't made this concession to give Ubisoft these streaming rights. Uh- what I got from the Q&A. Well, again, you're just reading this. You have to look at the whole picture, too. Okay, well... There's more of that than just what's in that interview. Sure. That Q&A. Um, what Ubisoft is saying is that uh, the reason that Microsoft chose this route is because they see the cloud streaming history that Ubisoft has. And because uh, Ubisoft was one of the first to support Stadia and you know, ever since has been involved in right. the cloud streaming I mean, so, direction. So, so, Microsoft. so Microsoft doesn't want to start something new, a new service. Right. They said, let's have Ubisoft handle our Yeah, but stream. they were told they had to find someone else to hand these streaming rights off to. Okay. Otherwise, the merger would be blocked in certain territories, which meant the whole merger would have fallen apart. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. Okay. Like Microsoft's not just doing this to be like, here Ubisoft, here's a bone. Like they the only reason they did this was because they were forced to. Okay. Yeah. Um so yeah, the interview is largely Ubisoft tooting its own horn or this Q&A because they're like, "Oh, Microsoft saw us as, you know, right. like, we're the best partner." They're they're kind this. of giving their take on right. what happened. I mean, and maybe they were the best partner for Microsoft's quickly needed solution. mm mm-hmm. Mhm to make sure the acquisition occurred. Right. Uh, But anyways, to me personally, the thing that is most important to me out of this discussion is that Ubisoft, one of the biggest game publishers on the planet, doesn't think physical games are going away anytime soon. Right. Uh, Specifically, Chris Early doesn't think they're ever going away. Right. And Chris Early being, you know, a public spokesperson for Ubisoft. Right. Um, and that, you know that means that statement is Ubisoft approved. A thousand eyes went on this this thing before Ubisoft published this on their own front facing blog, effectively. Right. Um, so I'm optimistic that you know that that makes me happy 
because that means that means like definitely the next generation of consoles physical is here. It's assuring to hear them acknowledge yeah. uh, that you know there is a human trait that wants to own physical property. Right, and uh, yeah, exactly. Like people, people still want to own their game. Right, and know? and that's not lost on them. And the it's a significant enough portion of their their uh, customers that they still value that as being necessary to do. Right. It's not like where it's like, well, it's only five percent of people, so we're okay with just losing them. Right. You know. Right. So that 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 that's good. I think that's really good. Now, Ubisoft is not a console holder. It would be better to hear a console holder hear, say something like this. Right. But uh, Ubisoft doesn't really have a say in what direction the industry goes necessarily. No, but I I would guarantee you that, you know, their discussions do occur behind closed doors between these big publishers and um, the major console holders. Like, they're clued into what these console holders are doing years before the public ever is. Right. No, I get that. All right, so there's our uh, update for this week on the uh, the physical digital war. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're going to move back to a topic we've uh, discussed the past couple weeks, uh, the Pokemon Van Gogh Pikachu promo card. Yeah. There's been a few developments on this. Um, so yesterday, um, these cards became available again. Um, now, you had to spend $30 on the uh, Pokemon Center website yeah. uh, on trading card game products specifically. Originally, last week, they announced that they would be available again soon. Nobody knew when. And literally, they didn't tell anybody in advance they were just like all of a sudden they're available you know and right. it took about an hour or so but they finally ran out of the promo cards and uh but at least people were able to buy them the site didn't crash i was able to secure another order for rick because i know he really wanted that promo card yes, thank you um and the website was having issues like if you tried searching for trading card game products constantly zero products would be found but eventually I was able to refresh the website enough times that uh, I was able to get some products to appear. And I just tried to find something as close as I could to the $30 mark. And I just placed that order and I went through. I got the confirmation. Hopefully things start shipping soon. They haven't said anything about there being issues with people's orders. So I'm hopeful that it will stick. Yeah. And uh, the... Van Gogh Museum stopped giving it out because uh, people were harassing, like yeah, the the visitors. Right. So there were basically scalpers posted right outside the museum on the street or right out of the door, harassing people, grabbing people's promo cards out of their hands. That's crazy. Creating like an unsafe, dangerous situation at the Van Gogh Museum. That's like Popeye's chicken crazy. Yeah. Like. Um, I first of all, I'm shocked. I mean, I guess I'm not shocked. No, uh, people we, are behaving this way over we, Pokemon. We know how these cards, like how crazy people get. Every you know, last time McDonald's put out a collection, people were you know. Oh yeah, during going, the pandemic yeah. for the 25th anniversary, yeah. the lines out of McDonald's were insane. People were just going through buying as many as they'd be allowed to, and yeah, then going just, back through, go right back in line and buy some more. Uh, I definitely 
purchased my fair share of those happy meals. Um, but I wasn't quite going back in line over and over again. I'd, you know, wait a day or two before having some more McDonald's. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) that's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of happy meals. Apple slices and stuff. You know, but that's, that's what you do. You sub out the fries for the apple slices and it's not so bad. Right. You know, it's a reasonable meal. Um, but uh yeah so the 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 card is just no longer available period you can't get it at the museum anymore pokemon centers are fully sold out of the cards that's it if you didn't get one you're not getting one yeah this whole thing was a giant bungle it was just from beginning to end just a train wreck and you gotta imagine anyone now so let's say a year or two from now pokemon approaches someone else and says hey we want to do a collaboration with you you know another museum or another artist or something like that right they're gonna go like well we saw what happened last time yeah you think we want any part of that? i don't know about that i dude that's a lot of bad press yeah but it's nintendo and it's pokemon so now it's like unsafe to go to the van gogh museum because there's like dudes out there ready to shank you for your Pikachu card that's that's just nuts but um i mean Maybe, hopefully, the Pokemon Company learned a lesson that they should maybe have security at these kinds of things uh, when there's a promo card, especially a high-profile promo card involved. Um, We'll see if they learn their lesson. Um, But, yeah, that... The whole thing was a giant bungle. I, I can't say whether a future, you know, partner will deny them on this ground but because i mean the van gogh museum is not like you know that's a pretty uh uh you know sophisticated place right i would say you know like we're talking about vincent van gogh here right you know like a huge collection of his artworks and you've got pokemon which was probably already kind of a stretch there were probably some people that took some convincing to like have this kind of you know, very pop culture thing, crossover with this very classical, appreciated right. kind of, you know, lift your nose in the air yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, right. Um, prestigious. Prestigious, yes. Understandably so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Vincent van Gogh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, they better have their act together next time. I mean, maybe, maybe the museum is a little bit to blame, especially for what happened there. With um, just their handling of how they chose to distribute the cards. I don't know that the Pokemon Company would necessarily be responsible for providing security and all that kind of stuff. No, I agree. But maybe just they allowed it to... Like when the museum store They should have stepped in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Maybe this Vince Van Gogh Museum didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah. Well, probably a big lesson learned for everyone involved. Yeah, I hope so. We'll see. You know, it makes me think that, you know, because like I mentioned in a previous episode, they did a similar collaboration with another famous artist in uh, at a museum in Japan. Japan yeah. And um, I don't think they had these kinds of problems right, there. Right. But I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the kinds of cultures. That, that was still crazy though, wasn't yeah. it? It was, and that card is very valuable. Yeah. Um, but not like people practically stampeding you right. know and trampling each other and stealing from each other just to, mugging each other outside yeah, to get the merchandise and promo cards yeah. that's that's really sad but that's what things have devolved to uh, 
uh, over Pokemon the f- cards. The fervor. Right? The fervor. Yeah. I mean, isn't that crazy, though? Yeah. That the fervor for Pokemon is, is yeah. still just as intense it, as it was in 1998. Yeah. 1999. Uh, it's like a violent fervor. Uh, it, it almost brings a tear to your eye. It's yeah. beautiful. It is. Uh, was it that bad in 98? Like, I know it was freaking popular. It I was mean, everywhere. It was... But people were people mugging each other in 98? Oh, you don't think... Dude, I'm sure someone lost their life over a Pokemon card. I mean, stores were, like, ripping each other off, you know, like, selling the cards for, like, $10 a pack. People were, like... I mean, it was, like, gouging and just, you know... Oh, you know, I actually have a great example. Go for it. I... Okay, so... I was a kid. I had my Pokemon cards, and there were some older kids in the neighborhood who I knew... And I want, I brought my binder or my deck or something like that to show them my cards. And later in the day, I come home and I'm looking at my cards and I'm noticing that multiple cards, are gone. multiple holographic cards are missing. So yeah, people were stealing cards yeah. even back then. Dude, I, I mean, think about like Charizard cards. I mean, they're worth even more now. Right. But even back then, they were like $2,000, like crazy stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it was... Oh my god, I have another great example. Go ahead. <laughs> Alright, so there was this store when I was a kid where I used to go to buy Pokemon cards, kind of in this sort of a... Not really an indoor swami, but it's like this building and there were different uh, units inside of it and each one had a, like a different shop. And one of the shops was mm-hmm. a card shop. And I would go like once a month to see what cards they had on display, make some purchases, trade some cards in that I had extras of, that kind of a thing. And there was one day, me, my brother, and my grandpa, who would take us there, we walk up the stairs, we go to the door, we push it open, and all the display cases are smashed. The whole place is trashed. Wow. Like, there is stuff all over the ground. Everything is gone. Yeah. Wow. Everything is gone. That, yeah, that's crazy. And that was 2000, probably. Now that I think about it, I knew a guy who got in trouble for stealing from KB Toys oh, back man. in the day. Uh, like a bunch of Pokemon, those little minifigures. I don't know if you remember okay. those. Like they're, they came in like a capsule thing or yeah, something? Yeah, they're like the An size inch? of your thumb. Okay. Like, yeah. They're, and every Pokemon, they had every Pokemon, yeah. like all 151. So, yeah, I think we just answered your question. Yeah. The fervor was yeah, just was. as insane back then as it is now. We weren't shanking each other because we were kids, but... <laughs> but we would have been. Yeah, we would have been. <laughs> <laughs> if we were adults. Um, all right, we've got one more story to talk about yep. here. Um, we're here to talk about the brand new voice actor... For Mario. the character of Mario. Yeah. So back in, I think it was August, uh, Nintendo announced very publicly that the current voice, the long-time voice since the early 90s, since Mario Paint, I think it was, mm-hmm. Charles Martinet would be retiring as the voice of Mario and essentially passing the baton to the next generation. It's not like Mario was voiced much before Mario Paint. No, I mean, there were some animated projects and a live-action show, but... Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Yeah, Um, but I think Mario Paint was maybe his first role, 
um, mm-hmm. or at least major role. But really, Mario sixty four is where we heard right. Mario yeah, that's, talk. That's the and definitive. Get really involved for the first time. Like, um, so Charles has been doing that role ever since that time, and uh, it and it was kind of kind of a strange announcement initially. People were like, "What? Why? Mm-hmm. Like he's still healthy? He's still active?" He still goes around to cons and things. Like, why would he need to... Right. Why would he need to retire? At, at these cons, he would, like... I remember he'd record people's voicemails and stuff yeah. for them. Um, but uh, I had... I actually met Charles a couple times. You've met him, too. Yeah. But I had one particular experience at San Diego Comic-Con. I think it was 2011 or 12. It was around the time the 3DS first launched. And they had this really cool thing in the Nintendo Lounge where it was like this screen like built into this kiosk and Mario was on the screen. And you could walk up to the screen. You you know, you had your turn and everybody got like three or four minutes with Mario. Mm -hmm. And you could talk to Mario. And he was like fully animated and he would talk back. Like he would like speak back to you what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And it turns out Charles Martinet was in another room just off to the side, like wearing a suit and like actually talking to people as Mario answering your questions, just having a conversation with you. I mean, this was like crazy. That is crazy. And I actually looked into this deeper. I can't remember what it's called, but Nintendo basically had this special software, this special program made so Charles could do this at events. Um, and then later during Comic-Con that year, he was like out at a table um, just signing stuff for people, handing out these really nice uh, like prints that had like him on like a, a headshot with all the characters surrounding him. Yeah. And, you know, he signed it, wrote a little message and like he, he scribbles all around the characters like their different little sayings. I actually have it here with me right now. I'll, I'll get an image of it up on the blog for the companion post for this for this episode yeah it's pretty cool um and you know it's even more so now that he's like retired right um now nintendo is giving him a very specific new role something okay. they've never done before he is the mario ambassador oh okay for nintendo a new position yeah is made. so i guess they're still keeping him on the payroll um, and he's still like allowed to essentially proclaim that he's Mario. So was a reason ever given for this change? No, not really. And you know, after the annou- a few weeks after the announcement, they put out this video that was kind of underwhelming, um, where it was like Mario and Mia, uh, sorry, Charles and Miyamoto, Mario's mm-hmm. father, you can the call creator him, of Mario. You can call him Mario. <laughs> Mario and Miyamoto. <laughs> Um, we're sort of having this back and forth, but I originally thought it was going to be like an in-person conversation between the two of them, maybe with a translator. Mm-hmm. But no, it was like two clearly pre-recorded messages that they like stitched together. Okay. That like, I don't know. It was just kind of, it was a little odd. Like I was hoping for something a little more memorable for mm-hmm. Charles. Um, but it's not like he's gone or anything. I mean, remember when Reggie Fizume left retired? Yeah. I mean, they put out this like very emotional like right. video he, of like he was talking about like um, Bowser. What's his first name? Yeah, Doug, Doug Bowser, Bowser yeah, new guy in. taking over. I mean, and it was like I, th- I was expecting something more like that for Charles, you know, essentially retiring as Mario. Right. And so it wasn't a very satisfying video for me. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so it's it's been a mystery. Nintendo didn't say who would be voicing Mario as of the new Super Mario Wonder game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, oh, one thing I want to add about Charles before we move on to the new voice actor. So Charles goes to cons a lot now. Right. So like he'll go probably to probably more now, right? Oh yeah, more. Even I think that was a big part of he was like, Okay, I'll retire, but I still have to be able to represent yeah. Nintendo and be the official you know, like be if, a, if that was like his initiative to negotiate that, that's yeah. a great move on his Then part. definitely, yeah. Nintendo was like, uh, here's some, you know, thing right. you can do. That's kind of messed yeah. up. Yeah. Like you can't sign artwork <laughs> yeah. or that yeah, that would stink. Um, but what's crazy is, you know, I got this like headshot thing for free, signed by him, customized, everything, mm-hmm. 100% for free. He was just at a local convention here in Long Beach earlier this year. He charges $80 for a, for a signature. Yeah. That's crazy. For me, I, I, I would pay that. Like, if I didn't have access, you know, to yeah. him in the past, like, I, Honestly, he's one of the few voice actors who is probably worth yeah. paying for if you really want their signature. Because Mario. Mario. Yeah, like, like who else? <laughs> yeah, there's there's like, no other Yeah, there's no one else that no. is bigger. No. There's a bigger name. I mean maybe Pikachu. Pikachu's had a lot of different voice no, actors. No, that's not no, true. The no. same voice actor the entire time. Anime and games? Yes. Wow. They actually use the anime voice actress for... Okay, so, real quick. Okay. <laughs> the the Pikachu voice on the Nintendo... Or the, sorry, the Pokemon Go Plus Plus? Mm-hmm. You know how Pikachu talks? Yes. And that's the same person? That's the anime voice actress. Wow. Yeah. It's a woman, by the way. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, like, through... Pokemon Yellow version, they use the anime voice actors for that. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, I mean... I I was under the impression (laughs) there's been, like, five different Pikachu. No, no. So, aside from... Now, it's a Japanese woman. Yeah, Like, they don't need to redub Pikachu for America. (laughs) There's no... English translation yeah, for yeah. Pikachu. Yeah, no, nothing of that is needed. The you know the human character will explain what Pikachu is saying. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, aside from Mario, I'd say Pikachu is maybe a close second. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but I can't imagine there's much of anything else. I mean, there, it, it, okay. Here's uh, here's something to note about Charles is that he's not just. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, that's he's a not, good point. That's a really good point. He's not just Mario. He, isn't he? He's Luigi or he's no? He's Luigi. He's Wario. He's Waluigi, and he's Baby Mario and Baby Luigi. Yeah, so he's not just Mario. He's the Mario Brothers. Yeah, yeah, and he's half the Mario Kingdom. Yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, Charles. Uh, big part. I'm honestly really sad to see him go. Um. Now, I will say I'm glad. Nintendo, while we didn't know who the voice actor was until last week, uh, we have heard the new voice actor's voice in Super Mario Wonder, and instead of trying to, like, go with a new take on it, Mm -hmm. we are getting someone who is essentially imitating Charles. Yeah, right. Um, So similar to, like, the tradition of Mickey Mouse always sounding like Mickey Mouse, at least Mario is always going to sound like Charles Martinet. Right. I mean... 
as well as this next guy can perform. He does a pretty... I mean, from what I've heard, it's pretty convincing to me. It's it's like the teeniest, tiniest bit difference, but I can almost tell you if if Nintendo didn't announce that it was a new voice actor, Mm -hmm. I don't think people would have really picked up on it. Okay. I mean, until, like, they saw the credits. I mean, there maybe are some people who are, like, big Charles fans or something, and, like, no... That's not him! Yeah. (laughs) They'd be like, that doesn't sound like Charles. And, you know what's interesting is, um, there's that, uh, remake of the uh, Mario vs. Donkey Kong coming to Switch. The... the, Right, yeah, yeah, The remake of the Game Boy Advance. The Game Boy Advance game. That's coming out next year. I want to play that, too. Yeah. Um, that actually sounds like Charles. Oh, that's this guy? No. It seems to be that Charles will be Mario again next year in that game. Mm. Like, the, like people have compared the voices and they're, like, people have said, like, okay, it sounds, it really does sound like Charles is the voice. It must have been that that game was recorded a long time ago. Okay. Before okay. they recorded Super Mario Brothers Wonder. So it's interesting that Charles will still have maybe one more game coming out next year that he was the voice of Mario in, even though a new Mario voice actor has already taken over. I would pay $80 to get that game signed by him. As his last voice role for Mario. Um, Me too. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Another point, a few points. One is that Nintendo owns so many clips of Charles' voice at this point I feel like they could just voice every Mario game, well, you know, yeah. to a certain degree. I think there might be laws against stuff like that reusing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they could negotiate his right. permission, you know. But like, I mean, they have the assets, to, right? What? How much does Mario really talk? Really, like he, he does. My understanding speak is that pretty much they. Record every time they make a new Mario game, they, they get new re-record. lines from Charles. Yeah, they don't really too often reuse assets, even though he is largely making a lot of the same. I mean, think of all the sports games that they've done with Mario right. and company. I mean, like he does have to make different noise, you know, like different sounds, you know. Well, then you get this new guy to do those ones. Yeah, that's how I feel. Okay, so they should reuse Charles, yeah. not pay him. <laughs> No, they could, I mean, they could. He, could, he, he could negotiate royalties for permission. You know, you got to wonder, why is Nintendo not just like, well, we have all these Mario voice clips, let's just train some AI module thing onto it. Yeah, there's that and too. Have it. But I mean... Uh, I mean, okay, like, that's a whole... Yeah, other, that's a can of worms. That's a freaking that's a huge rabbit hole, but... Um, I mean, I'm glad that they're not. Yeah. Because personally, I feel like doing that is really crappy. Yeah, sure. Um, to just like, oh, we have enough of you, you know, we'll, we'll just use AI to make something I'm not like, even you know? suggesting that. I'm just saying, you know, use Charles's clips for, yeah. you know, at least just the gameplay sounds that yeah. Mario makes. I mean, they could. Yeah, they, they, could. they could. But they're not. It doesn't seem like it. They've right. got a new voice actor, and his name is Kevin Afghani. Mm-hmm. And I believe he's LA-based, Los Angeles, He's pretty young. I think he's like mid-twenties. So Nintendo has chosen someone who could be Mario for a very long time. Yeah. Um, This is really his first big role. He's only had a handful of other voice acting roles. And um, it's, it's interesting. I guess 
it makes sense. Nintendo probably wants to find someone who's cheap. Right. They don't want to hire like some big name voice actor to do the Mario things. Well, that's a win win because that gives new talent the I opportunity agree. to do yeah. something big. And also, Nintendo doesn't have to pay as much. I mean, imagine this guy's life is like forever changed now. Right. Even if hypothetically he only did Mario Wonder, mm-hmm. he is now like in the pantheon of like Nintendo. He could go to conventions the rest of his life, right. charge thirty dollars, and people would. He might stuff not be okay if he only does one game. Yeah. Hypothetically. Um, he might not be set for life financially, but his resume is made. Dude, I've seen people on the con circuit for less. Yeah. Like like a tiny 30-second role in a movie, and they're on the con circuit, and I see them, you know, charging $30 for their signature and, like, a selfie, you know? Yeah, right. Um, so, I don't know. <laughs> like, people can make a living out of this yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I see your point, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, presumably he'll he'll have a long career with Nintendo ahead of him. And Hopefully, I wish him the best. I know? did go to his website. I listened to some of his voice reels. Um, he sounds pretty good as a voice actor, um, and you know I'm excited for the guy. That's that's gotta feel incredible. Um, I don't know. I just do wonder is there is there a story behind. Mario or Charles, you know, not being Mario anymore. Yeah, there, I, there, I mean, of course there is. I mean, he was, you know, largely pushed out of the Mario movie. He he had a small role as like Mario's father, mm-hmm. um, in in the which was a nice touch. I mean, they didn't have to include him at all. Right. Let's be honest; they right. could have just completely pushed him out of the movie. Um, you know, instead we got Chris Pratt sounding like Chris Pratt. Yeah. Not even trying uh, to be Mario. That was actually my single biggest reason I didn't go see that movie. You still haven't seen it? No. No. Uh, it's fun. It's not something I would like want to sit down and watch more Again? Than... Yeah, I don't know that I'd watch it again. I mean, if they make a sequel, I might watch it in advance of like a sequel or something, but mm-hmm. it's not like something like, oh man, I'm going to revisit this, you know, every few years to watch it again. If Martinet had voiced Mario, I would have seen it every day that it was in theaters. It was in theaters for a long time. It's like the number one or number two highest grossing film of the year, which is crazy. Yeah. I I mean, I hear good things about it. It's fun. I'm not crapping on the movie. But I'm not going to see it with Chris Pratt. You'll never see it. I don't know. I'll I'll find a way. (laughs) Wow. I'll find a way to to see it just for my own information. Okay. Um, that's okay. I didn't realize you hadn't seen it yet. Nope. Um, so one other thing I want to talk about is Charles, his kind of signature catchphrase in the games has always been Mamma Mia. Yeah. So <laughs> in, the, in the new Mario Wonder game, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, it's uh-huh. coming out like Friday, two days from now, a day from now. Um, Mario and friends have a new catchphrase. Yeah. Wowie zowie. So do we have any reasoning behind this or any like story, lore, or anything kind of pertaining to this? Or is this just like new guy wants to do something new? Um, No, I highly doubt this is the new guy being like, I need a new catchphrase. I'm sure this is something Nintendo has come up with. You know, like, I don't know if it's just going to be for Mario Wonder. 
or if it's uh, maybe intentionally, maybe they see Mamma Mia as sort of being an Italian stereotype or something like that. Right. I, so maybe they want to. to me too. Maybe they want to. You know, it's interesting. It's the same amount of syllables, Mama, Mia, and then you have Wowie, Zowie. Um, so it's really not a different catchphrase. It is a hundred percent different. Uh, it's a one hundred. It's still an exclamation. Uh, you're rewriting history. You're straight rewriting history with this. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's saying something new. I don't, I, I don't, we don't know if Mamma Mia is not uttered during Super Mario Brothers. Wonder. But from all the marketing we've seen thus far, it's all about the wowie zowie. And I don't think it sounds bad when you hear it, like, said. It sounds like something Mario would say. Uh, okay. (laughs) Alright, so you clearly don't like that this is happening. No, no, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, how often does Mario say Mamma Mia? Like, I know that's just what everybody associates Mario with. Right, I don't... I don't remember him saying that in a game anytime recently. I believe he said that a lot in the cartoon. Yeah. Um, I almost think it was just like a thing that they did that he did say from time to time. Right. And it just sort of became part of the zeitgeist that Maybe Mario says. Mario sixty four, I believe he did. Yeah. I'd, I'd someone needs to do like a really big yeah, deep that's, dive that's analysis. Deep dive for sure. But uh, uh, Wowie Zowie is just. Uh, <laughs> It's got no pizzazz. It's lame. Yeah, not my... You don't like it. No. You don't like it. Not at all. Okay, wow. I did not know when I put this in our discussion topic that it would be so passionate about it. If the reasoning is Mamma Mia is like an Italian thing, that's weak. stereotype. That's weak. The guy's name is Mario. He is Italian. I mean, yeah, if you look at the movie... He's clearly from an Italian family in, like, Brooklyn or New York somewhere. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, and I think he says Mamma Mia in the movie. I actually believe that line is uttered. Which the, movie are we talking about? I'm talking about the newest okay, movie. Okay. The one that Nintendo wants you to think about. Right, okay. Not not, <laughs> not the, the classic film starring John Leguizamo. You can't dismiss that film. No, no, no. I actually don't. I think I have an even greater appreciation for it as time goes on. There's, a, there's actually a lot of, like, backstory behind it. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's... What a movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. What a movie. Oh, like... Yeah. There's never, like, there is nothing else like it, nor will there ever be. It's, it's, if you look at it, like, from a lens, it's very, like, avant-garde and Mm -hmm. interesting and, like, worth. Some liberties were taken. Yes, definitely. (laughs) And I think Miyamoto has been quoted at some point as saying it was too similar to the games. That's why it didn't do well. Yeah, so he said that um, he thought that the movie was didn't uh, it was too yeah it was too much like the games and that's why it didn't do well three points video game movies don't do well because they're so far from the movie what, often the, the freaking game and then yeah it was nothing like the game right and also it, it uh, there was another point I just there. don't think you can really do Mario live action 
No. That's that's tough. No. SNL did a a skit for a Mario Kart movie. We talked about this. Yeah, a week we or did. Two ago. But it looked right to me. It looked kind of right. <laughs> it looked um, like twisted metal. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. It was gritty and stuff. But that aside, though, I think the like visual looked right. Right, but I mean that would just be hard to take seriously beyond like a sixty-second fake trailer, right? For a TV show or movie that doesn't exist. I wouldn't know because it doesn't exist. But right. yeah, I mean. Um, for that, it looked. Now like. I could see like Zelda getting a live action adaptation. That would have to be done extremely carefully. Oh, extremely <laughs> carefully. You know, I do wonder now that Nintendo has seen such monumental, massive success with the Mario movie, are they going to uh, see like, okay, we got all these other properties? You know, yeah. like what do we do? Well, I mean. I mean, for Zelda, I don't know. I feel like if, if it's three, if they did a Zelda movie and it was three D animated, I wouldn't have any problem with that. See, that, I wouldn't be. That's in- very neutral, and ah. I would, I would be down because I, I think they'd make it look, you know, with this big sense of realism, and they would go pretty hard on high quality. Like, are you talking like Square Enix esque kind of? Probably. Okay. I see, could that, see that sounds expensive. Yeah. Well, I mean, so was making a live-action John Wick film. See, I I would see more like... I think an anime film would be better for Zelda. Like a Studio Ghibli, like very high-end anime, you know, like... At Studio Ghibli, I'm going to correct you. Oh, thank you. Um, Um, But yeah, like, you know, like you see a lot of animes today and it's just mouths moving half the time. Right. You're like, I, I think they need someone with pedigree who can like you know make a very beautiful film i think zelda would fit uh like that kind of a a a scope of work regardless of the animation style say for maybe claymation or something i think they're they're dodging a lot of pressure if they went that direction if they go a live action direction oh yeah the heat is on that yeah the heat is on yeah um, so anime, 3D animation... Is a lot safer. Is a lot safer. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so... So... <laughs> in this hypothetical tangent that we've gone off on, they make a, a 3D animated Zelda movie. Sure. Link talks the entire time. Yeah, so that's going to be a problem. <laughs> that would be the dumbest mistake they've ever made. So, if you don't know... That's a big statement. Link doesn't really talk in Zelda games. Now, there are times where you do select... He is, he is a silent character. He where is a is silent it? character. He, oh. He's as silent as... Um, what's his name from Half-Life? Okay, but there are times where you select dialogue options, and clearly the character you are talking to in the, hears that dialogue. In the newer games. Oh, yeah, it's suggested... I think the Wind Waker was the first to do this, but it is suggested, insinuated, that Link speaks to other characters in right. the game. But you never hear him and you don't read text. You only hear grunts. You only and... hear grunts from Link yeah. and you see a dot 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 from him. Most of that's the time. That's the only yeah. text you'll ever see. And uh, that's still a silent character in my book. Right. I mean, if everyone else in the game is constantly speaking and constantly... Like, even in the newer Zelda games, they give, like, a, 
there are cut scenes that are fully voiced. Obviously, Link is still silent. Right. And then even out in the world, all the characters kind of have like little noises they make when you first talk to them. So you can kind of get a sense of their voice, mm-hmm. um, even though like all their dialogue is not voiced. Right. Uh, but Zelda or Link, I should say, sorry, um, never never speaks beyond when you select dialogue. Right. But again, that's not really that's not even portrayed as speech. Right. It's more like the player is selecting an option but the characters that link is engaging with do seem to respond to the selected dialogue right so it's insinuated speech yeah uh but still doesn't go so far as to actually give him a voice the point is that a delineation is made between link and his speech quote-unquote pattern and other characters and their pattern yeah um, so, uh, yeah, it'll be, I'm sure in our lifetime within the next 10 years, we're going to see Zelda enter the multimedia space mm-hmm. beyond video games into either a TV show or an anime or a film of some sort. They, Nintendo needs to te- keep a very tight grip on that. And I usually don't vouch for that, but with this, they, they need to make sure that it's done correctly yeah i mean mario movie had the look of mario nailed down very well um obviously the voice actor just didn't even try yeah i mean i don't know i'm sure they're gonna see the massive box office success and think we made the right choice rather than just having i mean do you really want to listen to two hours of Mamma Mia, here we yeah. go. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, I do. I would kill if they did, like, the Martinet cut. Right. Where they <laughs> have him dub over the whole movie. That would be incredible. Like you, I, that's what you're getting ready for when you go to see a Mario movie. Yeah. Like... I it, mean, at least they didn't trick people. And, like, never... You never saw him talk during the trailers. And they're like, oh, man. Yeah. Here it comes. At least they... Yeah. At least they were forefront They about communicated it. that, right. hey... So people like me with... who that's a deal breaker can know that... All right. I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, you know, they did give him a role in the film, which is more than they had to do. Right. But, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to hear from him more in the film. Definitely. Um but I think that's pretty much a wrap on episode four, unless Rick has something else he'd like to share. Uh, nope, that is it. All right, so uh, we'll see you next week. End transmission.